Hello to everybody and welcome to the visitors that are here. I really enjoyed the Sunday School discussion. Just uh, a great discussion and motivating for all of us there. Good to see everybody here with the coronavirus going around and everything. It's good to see that you didn't panic and give this up reluctantly. But uh, I saw a corona picture in the news where a lot of those people are using masks. And I saw one interesting one. He had a he had a mask on and he had a little slit in it where he could get his cigarette in. <laughs> so I'm glad we I trust that you don't panic that you're the calm person in the room. It has some benefits. If there's a long line at Quick Trip and you really start coughing, sometimes you can get ahead a little bit faster there. <laughs> well, we shared a, a thought we were discussing riding in a car and he shared a thought uh, here a while ago he delivered a building. And in delivering it, something went just a little bit wrong, and there was a, it was a steel building, and there was a dent in the, in the trim. And uh, the husband and wife were there, and they were a bit contentious, but when that happened, their world fell apart. Um, and it was good for me to think about that. What, what makes your world fall apart? Your children know what it is. Uh, what is it that makes... We should be pretty calm. We should be pretty steady. We trust in God. We have a big God. But there's those things that each of us that trip us up. My dad, we were in North Carolina, and I might have shared this story, but we were at a restaurant, and he wasn't... I know you can't believe this because you know me and not him, but he wasn't really patient. And we sat at a restaurant, and he used to put ice in his coffee. I always, it was a thing between him and I, I'd say, just let's forget the ice and just relax. And, and we were sitting there, and it wasn't long, but he, he was ready to go trucking, he wanted to order. And he had been given coffee, but then the waitresses were back there talking. So he took his coffee cup and banged it on the counter a couple times and he said, this would be a good place to open a restaurant. <laughs> Real loud. And as a 12-year-old or 14-year-old, I'm thinking, you know, Daddy, just just uh, calm it here. They're going to throw us out if you don't. But all of your children know what it is that trips you up. But you should, we should be the voice of calm in the corona. Uh, we went through Y2K. We went through a whole bunch of stuff. And... Uh, what is it that makes your world fall apart? It should be pretty much. Uh, what is it that trips you up where you come unglued? It should be pretty much as Christians. So we're looking at Colossians. If you turn to Colossians 2 this morning. Paul wrote the letter from prison. He was never over there. Didn't visit or nothing yet. Didn't start it. But he cared deeply about it, which is a challenge. Epaphras was a pastor that came to visit him in prison there and told him about the church and told him 
about how it's going, like preachers do, you know, struggles they're facing and things that uh, they were talking shop there and saying we're struggling with this and we're struggling with that, how well they're doing in some areas. And Paul wrote the letter because he had heard from other Christians too, it says in the letter, and, and he wrote the letter uh, for that pastor to take back. And in Colossians, in chapter 1, we looked at it a little bit some time ago, and it just gives how Christ is the only answer. Uh, when, when people ask the question uh, in our prayer meeting, Gerald was sharing, and somebody said, how did a certain person they both knew get turned around? And Jesus said, or Gerald said, you might not like my answer, but it's Jesus. And in, and in chapter 1, it establishes Jesus as the head of everything. The reason we exist, the reason we uh, uh, are, are who we are. And then in chapter 3 and 4, he goes on to give us really good Christian advice. Uh, how your marriage should be, how your husband should be, how your wife should be, how your employer. And it gives us really good uh, good stuff to go on there. But here in Colossians 2, he has a little bit of encouragement. And then he's going to have a few warnings that he's covering. He's going to cover a few of his concerns that his buddy must have shared with him when they were sitting there in prison. Colossians 2 verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them that are Laodicea, and for as many as I have not, as have not seen my face in the flesh. I care about you. Uh, I care about Christians other than the church that we go to, other than our own little group. We care about other Christians. That their heart might be comforted and knit together in love. And unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And uh, he tells this little church over there, I, I hear you're knit together in love and I'm so, I'm so glad about that. I'm impressed with that. And I wonder what people south of here say about Northwoods, if they can tell that we're knit together at love. I think they can, and I, and I hope so. The world's polarized. And in a world today, we take sides, or people take sides, and they hate, and they retaliate, and they accuse. But you're different. Christians, we have a wide spectrum of beliefs, and experiences, and preferences, and gifts, and talents. But... Christ draws us together that we're one. We're knit together in love. Uh, in John it says, By this people know that you're my disciples, if you are, if you have that, if you're knit together in love. In whom, verse 3, In whom all, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And sometimes we don't look at it like that. Uh, like uh, the, the, the good times we had together this morning were uh, digging for that treasure and finding that treasure. And we 
we do that, uh, the, the, the treasure, the truth that we, that we have here, sometimes we don't, we, we look at it different than a treasure. We look at it something, well, it, it's a guideline or so forth, but uh, if we're seeking, uh, back in 2010, there's a gentleman called David Crisp, and he was in Somerset, England, and he had one of those little things where you check for metal underground and so forth, and he was walking along, and he found a pot there, and it was filled with with a lot of coins from way back. It was filled with, uh, it was like 350 pounds, and he dug around a little bit and got to the top of this pot. It was filled with coins, and as, as I was thinking of this here, in whom are hid all the treasures, he finally... He finally got down there and, and they got it out and there was five million dollars worth of old coins in that old pot that was buried from way back. And we got that here. We have, we have a treasure that is really awesome, really worth something to us there. In Psalms it says, the law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And we have that available to us today. And verse 4, And this I say, lest any man shall beguile you with enticing words. And he's going to take some of the ways that he's concerned about where people are, are fooling them. And beguile isn't a word that we use as much, but it's something that seems believable, but is false. Something that tricks you, but is false. And to me, you know, the health and wealth gospel, the idea that God wants you rich and He never wants you sick, uh, to me, that is one of those things that people could beguile you with. They could come up with words and say, here's a verse that says the Lord takes care of those, and He could come up with a lot of verses. But there's a, there's a thing where I believe He, he can trick you, and I so appreciated Dave's thoughts last Last week, how we deal with the the different things we we go through, you know, how we struggle, uh, how we're uh, uh, how we respond to the the things we go through. That there was out of context. My mind was bouncing a little bit there. This week, the Federal Trade Commission reached an agreement with Timi LLC. It's somebody that makes tea. And if you go home, there's probably some in your cupboard. And it cures a whole lot of things. Whatever you want it to cure, uh, it can cure. And I just uh, bought tea from Amazon. And I had to go look at it to see if it was from this company. It was from a different company, but I think it was probably the same deal. So this tea is supposed to cure just about everything that's wrong with me. And uh, the federal, what they did, what this tea company did, they're out of Florida. They hired uh, influencers on on uh, YouTube to say, yeah, this cu- cured me of cancer, and this cured me of this, and this cured me of that. And they had a lot of people out there promoting lies about the tea, and that was their marketing program. So. Uh, we have a good little government tapped them on the shoulder. A federal trade commission said, 
uh, we're going to take you to court, which they did, and they fined them $15 million. It was $15.2 million judgment against them. And then they took them apart a little further and they said, we'll forgive that $15.2 million when you write us a check for $1 million because you can't afford the rest. But they were telling people, they were beguiling people with enticing words. And they can, you know, it sounds pretty, this here tea, if you drink this tea, it's going to do this and that for you. But there's no proof that it does. And the influencers that they had out there on YouTube, 10 of them got tapped on the shoulder by the Federal Trade. And the things that they were saying happened, didn't happen. And so uh, what what Paul was concerned about, he was saying, you know, there's people out there that want you to believe the wrong thing. Uh, and they're going to trick you into believing that thing. And... Uh, I like what I see in your congregation, but I don't want you to be... I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, advice here because I don't want you to be tricked. In verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit. Joying, and I don't know if that's a word or not, and beholding your order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, I heard a lot about your church, and what I really like, what I'm hearing, is I hear that you have order in your church. You have, uh, and you know, uh, I, I struggle sometimes with the staunchness that goes along with order in a church. But Paul is complimenting him for this, and he was saying, I like how you work through things, and how it's in order, and I like your steadfastness of your faith in Christ that he brings out to him there. Uh, Corinthians says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, all in the churches of the saints. There's a practical balance here. Sometimes order fights against spontaneous worship. But I, I think there's a, a balance here. I think I, I love the way that there's a way we make decisions in the church here, and there's there's an order to our men's meeting. Everybody's drawn out, and everybody gets to speak. But uh, that there's uh, that there's uh, that there's an order to it. That nobody. Paul says, "I like to I like, beholding your order, as ye." Have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then Paul's going to go into a few things. He sees a couple of forces that are going on in the church here. Uh, he sees the Greeks that are becoming part of this church and they, they're talking about uh, mystical things and what they're used to. The Greeks grew up worshiping a lot of gods, and what they were doing was just taking Jesus and adding him to, he's one more God, we can worship him. And there was also Jews, and the Jews were saying, yeah, Jesus, but you also need to observe the Jewish laws in addition, the laws of the Torah, Kosher diets, certain holy days and circumcision, etc. 
and was drawing, driving Paul up the wall. In the Colossians church and in the Galatians church, he warns about these couple groups. In Paul's mind, to go either way in this was compromise. To not quite understand what Jesus and who Jesus was. It was, it was compromise in his mind, whether, uh, whether it was going with what the Jews were uh, pushing or what the Greeks were pushing. And uh, it was a failure to grasp in, in, uh, in their minds who Jesus really was. First of all, he uh, looks at the men, men's wisdom. Did this thing shut off here? Is it on? Yeah, I believe it's on there. Beware, verse 8 we're looking at, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What he is saying in in there is uh, another translation. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. The traditions of men there, I think a better uh, translation there is that come from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And that's where the Greeks were coming. They, they were given some, uh, uh, some philosophies that were right sounding. And, and what he's warning here is so pertinent for us today. Uh, there's so much that should be obvious to us that we can't rely on the shrill voices of man. Uh, when I was in the 60s, when I was going to public school, there was a lot of um, beliefs that are looked at as false now. And back then, it was settled science. They knew how they felt about things and and whether it was um, uh, medical or... or they they knew that there was one gene and one protein, and then as they went along, they discovered a lot more, and now they think there's a lot of proteins and so forth. There's, but back in 68, that was solid. That They knew how they felt about it there. And uh, there's a guy who wrote a book back then, The Population Bomb, and that was embraced by all of our colleges and so forth. And... Uh, what that population bomb said that uh, in 1970, hundreds of millions of people in the United States will starve despite any crash program of trying to uh, trying to turn it around. And he, uh, the, the book sold millions. And um, he was saying that there's nothing we can do to stop it, but we should start with. Uh, Sterilizing everybody, putting a luxury cha- uh, tax on children, uh, uh, contraceptives and abortion, and uh, more education, more sex education in school. And a lot of people believed this, but it didn't come to pass. But it did affect the thinking of man, and I think it set the stage for abortion in our country, that 
was more acceptable or more, and, and then it, uh, now today we have the welcome to climate change. There's, there's so many shrill voices and so many, uh, uh, sincere, solid science. And if you go to our colleges and our schools today, uh, they teach philosophies of man and it should, it should challenge us. You know, I, I was at the school Monday morning and I, w- I left, I was so impressed with the school here. And I was so blessed by the school. But uh, one, of the, one of the presidential candidates said, we want to take all the children and put them in school full time from age three on. And I remember one time Lester had a sermon and he said, he thinks that if our government would say children have to go to, to their school from three or four on, he thinks that would be a place where you draw the line. I just remember that in a sermon. But if they can get your children and they can teach them the f- philosophies of man, it's almost, it's almost, we, we serve a good God, but it is really difficult to undo that in your house in the evening. Uh, you have people that go into a school, they go into a college, and in a couple years' time, they're, they're not trusting God's wisdom anymore, and they're trusting man's wisdom. And yet, when you go back just a short time, I'm a young man yet, and you go back to just in the, in the 60s, what was settled science is laughed at today. And so we can't trust that. We can't build on that. We can't, uh, we can't believe that. And, and Paul here is saying to that church, hey, uh, you have some Greeks among you there, and they're saying uh, a bunch of this stuff here. Don't, don't be beguiled by that. Don't be tripped up. Don't uh, trust man's wisdom. Uh, and it's, it's uh, the prince of this world is... I, I'm amazed at how... Uh, predictable the philosophies of man become. Whatever God says here, they go the opposite direction. For in Him, in verse 9, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him. You're complete in Him, which is the head of all principalities and power. Our country and every country on it. Christ is the head, in whom also ye are circumcised. Now this is kind of, Paul gets a little wordy here, but stay with him. Ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith, of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your heart, hath he quickened. He, he's quickened you. He's drawn you out together with him, having forgiven us, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwritten writing of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, 
And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Let no man therefore judge you in meat. And he's again talking about the influence that they're experiencing there in their local setting. Like, so this is Northwood at Hayward, and he's, and Paul's telling you, uh, you know, I want you to watch out for the Greeks on the one side and the Jews on the other. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect to holy days or new moons or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man trick you. Let no man beguile you of your reward in the voluntarily humility of worshiping angels, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. Don't let anybody intimidate you, he's saying. Let me read that in another translation. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons, ceremonies or Sabbath. For these rules are only a shadow of reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels, saying they have a vision about these things. He's saying, be careful, church at Northwood, when there's people that have special visions, special revelations, special things that aren't in the Bible, and they've got a secret uh, way to God. Be careful of that. Don't let them intimidate you. Uh, Be very careful when they say, I had a vision last night and the Lord wants you to move to Siberia. We don't, you know, we, we question that, but uh, be, be very careful on when somebody has a, a certain vision there. And Paul has a, a kind of a deal of, I'm losing some of you because he has a little bit of a, a long terminology here, but stay with me here. Verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world... Are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men? Question mark. Which things ye have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to satisfying the flesh? Paul's discussing here a slew of man-made rules, including and not limited to observation of days, dietary restrictions, behavioral uh, requirements, etc. And we believe that our rules are uh, the way we uh, conduct church, go back to the Bible. Each Anabaptist believes the same, although they're a little different in where we draw the lines. Catholic is the same. They believe that all of their rules, many rules, go back to 
what's in the Bible. Let's read that there last. If you have died with Christ, and He has set you free from spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules were mere human teaching about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Let's ponder this for a little bit. We make applications. That's right. We need to in our generation because generations change. But it becomes awkward sometimes. If the applications we make are in the way of Scripture, they become a liability rather than a help to us. If my personal preferences are more important than God's preferences, it becomes a liability to us. And I'll give an example, or a few of them. Uh, in my past, we had a rule in our church that the, the gals would wear dark nylons, a requirement. Dark hose is what they were in the discipline. And then when we reached out to Philadelphia and when there was a couple of dear young, uh, older black ladies that wanted to join with us, the question came up with, uh, must the black ladies, must we require the black ladies also to wear dark hose? Or do they wear white hose? Or do they wear sheer hose? And it became a little strange, but it didn't start there. It started with a good idea of, let's not let worldliness abound in our group. It was a good good idea. It was a, a good application. Another one was a, a, a group beside us had uh, decided, okay, they don't have uh, vehicles. They're going to use horse and buggies but they're going to use tractors in the field. And often cultures change in the shop rather than in the house. But they're going to use tractors in the field, but so that people don't use them for transportation, let's use steel wheels on them. And that went fine for a long time, but then the county said, hey, your steel wheels are costing us a lot of money because it's tearing our... It's tearing our blacktop roads off. And so they had to come up with that because taking the tractor from field to field was difficult. And so they had to come up with a plan and they said, okay, it feels really uneasy to us. And I can understand that, guys. When you, tradition changes hard. No matter what tradition, where, what family you're in or what, so I can, I can totally understand the uneasiness there. But they said, it feels wrong to go to rubber wheels. Let's put a band of rubber on the outside of the steel wheels. 
it'll protect the road, but it still won't feel like we're leaving everything go. And there's, there's more. I could go down the list and every generation faces these struggles with making good applications that protect our youth and us, ourselves. There was, in our, in our uh, congregation, there was little, they started out by saying, okay, we'll go with cars, but we'll, we'll have them be black. But that was a, a rule with good intent. Let's not get fancy about our vehicles and have them be gods. But what it changed into as time went on is I could have, in 1968, a Z28 Camaro with four-speed Hurst that would go zero to 60 right away. And I could have... Uh, Traction bars, whose only thing was that when you take off to put marks down on the road, it wouldn't hop. You could lay a straight mark. It would have better traction. And you'd, you could have anything like that as long as the C28 Camaro was black. And that isn't what they meant it to be. That isn't where they were going with this here. Paul is talking about the culture around Colossae, but we need to apply these same difficult things around Northwood. And the danger and the tendency of you and I is going off one side in the ditch or the other. That's the tendency of man to say on this side we have an ever-growing list of regulations as issues come up. And it's getting pretty long on this side to go to this ditch to say nothing matters. Freedom in Christ. There is nothing that matters to anybody. You can live uh, however you feel like it. (coughs) Do you ever see a person who leaves a Christian church who is used to fences and rules. And did you ever watch a person like that, that didn't have anything, like he was talking about circumcision in the heart by Christ, but they leave, they finally get out, and under them rules, what happens? They just have no boundaries. They have no stopping place, often. And they're so vulnerable, and they they just have... They're like a, they're just like gone. They have no convictions. They had trusted on those fences. And God says, or Paul says here to that church there at Colossae, he says, hey, um, there's some dangers out there and there's some dangerous way to look at those things that they're, that it's in your heart. It's, Circumcision in the heart anymore, and it's not a circumcision by man, but it's circumcision that Christ does to your heart. And so, when you trust in rules, you live different when you're on vacation. When you trust, when your trust is in rules, 
You're not kind to the person the way Jesus says you're supposed to be kind. You don't reach out. That motivation that comes... You're saying, who's looking and what do they think? That's what Paul's warning against here. And it's hard. It's so hard. Each generation needs to make application to their day. Like in Paul's day, the internet wasn't there. So each generation is responsible to make applications for their day, for the safety of their group. And you call it whatever you will. If I call it discipline or rules, it'll make some of you uneasy. Because inside of us, sometimes we don't like people telling us what to do. But sometimes as we speak into other, each other's lives, we need to make application of the day. Amen? Is that right? But it's hard to reevaluate sometimes when an application has outlived his, its usefulness or where we started. It's hard to consider. You know, the, it feels scary. You know, don't move, don't remove agent landmarks and, uh, it's hard, it's hard to, to, uh, do a course adjustment. Uh, in a room this size, there's a lot of different, uh, personalities and experiences and preferences and so it's hard to uh, to make that culture is made up of customs attitudes and beliefs that are unique to each group whether it's here or anywhere else that we go they have their culture uh, I was reading how surprising it was to, to a couple couples that joined the Amish church very few do from totally the outside but they, they, they were amazed at how many little things that they had to learn like you do your wash on Monday and you use uh, one of those washers I forget what you call them, them uh, old roller washers anyway uh, you make pizza a certain way and that's part of the culture not good or not bad but uh, culture acts as a control system for better or worse. So every church in this county has some kind of a culture. and uh, But we as people often end up in one ditch or the other. And I see I need to close. But there's more than just those two choices. There's more than just one ditch or the other ditch. And I'm grateful for that. When it comes to making applications, we have a third choice. And that is making the necessary applications for our generation based on Jesus' New Testament teaching. That's what we're going to be judged by anyway and evaluated by. Carefully. Making the applications we do from the Bible and making them for the day that we live in. Knowing that we're going to answer to Jesus for any deviation that we decide to make toward either ditch. I appreciate Todd's guidance in our church here. He was... uh, he tweaked the veiling thing, how we practice the veiling, and I was very appreciative of that. And whenever you do any tweaking, it's difficult to all come together in unity 
and to come to accepting one another's uh, counsel and advice. The Bible says better decisions are made in the multitude of counsel and Todd draws us all out. But don't let any of us run away with it. And I just, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate. But I think looking at Paul's warning here, being knit together in love, beholding your order and the steadfastness that you have in your faith in Christ. I think uh, that's a challenge for every church everywhere. How do you make the applications for your day that are reliable and that God will be pleased with? And I don't know what else to go on besides the Bible. If we go on anybody else's preferences or any, anything else, I don't know where else to get the information we need to base where we stand here at Northwoods. That was a little touchy. I invite you to add any necessary balance to that there. Uh, Those are uh, how I see verse 23. But the rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. That comes from within your heart. That comes from a changed life in Jesus Christ. Circumcision from the heart, from Jesus. Just one verse and we're closing. We now have this light shining in our heart. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our power is not from, that makes it clear that our power is from God and not of ourselves. Let's kneel for prayer if you can easy there. Lord, we thank you for how we can be complete in Christ, even though we are jars of clay. For Northwood, give us discernment. Where we need to change, help us to change. Where we need wisdom, give us wisdom. Where we need balance, give us balance. Help us to love what you love and help us to hate what you hate. And bind us together in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.